Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. This is Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist in North Charleston, South Carolina, and I'm so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to the following message. If you'd like to learn more about our church, go to northwoodbaptist.com. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and subscribe to our podcast so you can have new content delivered to your device every single week. I hope the following message blesses you and helps you connect faith to life. Take your Bibles and turn back to the book of Judges. Back to the book of Judges. We're continuing our study through this wonderful and fascinating book. Judges chapter 7 is where we're spending our time together this morning. In just a moment, I want to read to you Judges chapter 7, verses 1 through 8. Judges 7, 1 through 8. Uh, if you're new to the Bible, Judges is not too difficult to find. Just go to the beginning of the Bible, the book of Genesis. Go seven books in, and you'll find yourself in the book of Judges. If you don't have a Bible, the good news for you is right in the chair before you. In the book rack, you will find a copy of the Bible. Take that Bible, find Judges with us, and if you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you. Begin to read it and learn about the God who loves you and desires a relationship with you. Judges 7, 1 through 8. Uh, we did this past week, had, had, we had a wonderful time in Israel. We took 34 people from our church. It was a, a massive group of people to take on an airplane to Israel, but we had such a wonderful time. And, and I know some of you in this room, you've had the opportunity before to go to the Holy Land. Some of you have not, and you want that opportunity. Uh, in 2022, we'll try to do it again, Lord willing. Some of you might never have the opportunity to go to the Holy Land, and that's certainly okay. Going to the Holy Land does not make you a better Christian, thankfully, but it does help you to have a better understanding of the land in which Jesus ministered. And if you never have the opportunity to go to the Holy Land, I would suggest you go on YouTube and watch some videos or read a couple of books because having a knowledge of the land really is helpful. In fact, I want to show you a picture. This is one of my favorite places in the Holy Land. So right here, you see these ancient stairs. These ancient stairs are, are 2,000 years old. These were the stairs on the southern side of the temple uh, that you would take. You would walk up as you were making your way to the temple to worship. In fact, I mean, it, it's quite possible, it's probable, that these stairs you see on this picture, uh, these were stairs that Jesus would have walked up many a times as he made his way to the temple. In fact, it's, it's likely that Jesus even taught the crowds from these very stairs. And it's just a, an amazing experience to be in a place where you know Jesus was here. He walked these stairs. He ministered to the crowds from this very spot. I don't know if you can tell very well in the picture, but if you look closely, if you look at these ancient stairs, you'll notice something really significant. They're uneven. Right? You see it? Like you'll, you'll have one stair that's really narrow and the next is a bit wider, narrow, wide. You know why they made them that way? Because you were going to the temple to worship. And by having uneven stairs, you know what it did? It forced you to slow down. To slow down, you had to look down to make sure you didn't miss a step. Slow down. Because you're coming into the presence of God. Isn't it true this morning that some of us need to slow down? Maybe we should build some stairs out front, right? Some uneven stairs to force you to slow down before you come to worship. But just think about the reminder. Slow down. I mean, because the God you worship, 
He is magnificent. He is great. He is powerful. He is worthy of your attention. He is worthy of you slowing down and considering who he is, right? He is all-powerful, and you are not, right? Sometimes we need the reminder that we're a weak people. In fact, here's what I know this morning. In this room, maybe you don't need the reminder that you're weak. You know you are. For some of us this morning, maybe we are in some situations that are way over our heads. Maybe it's already been a rough 2020. You feel weak. And what we need this morning is a reminder that in our weakness, we serve a powerful God. In fact, what I want to propose to you this morning is that if you feel weak, if you feel like you don't have your act together, if you feel like life is out of control, you're in a very good place. Because it's in your weakness that God will prove his power to you. Think about this quote. Hudson Taylor was a missionary to China, and he, he said this, and I love this quote. He said, all God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckon on God being with them. Isn't that good? Hudson Taylor understood that, man, it's, it's good to recognize that you are weak. It's good to recognize that oftentimes you're in situations that are out of your control because when you are weak, where else are you going to turn but to the one who is all-powerful? Where else are you going to turn but to the one who holds your life in his hands? And so what I want to do this morning as we continue looking at the book of Judges and as we pick up where we left off a couple weeks ago with the story of Gideon, I want to show you the advantage of weakness. I want to show you why, why you need to embrace weakness this morning. I want to show you three advantages of weakness that we see in the passage of Scripture that we're going to stay together. So take your Bibles, Judges 7, verses 1 through 8. When you find that, go ahead and rise to your feet as we honor the ring of God's Word together. Judges 7, verses 1 through 8. Listen to what the Bible says. Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who are with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink... And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand, and let all the others go every man to his home. So the people took provision in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, man, uh, every, of Israel every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning and for the opportunity now to study your word together. 
And we trust, Father, that as we study your word together in these moments, that your spirit is going to speak to us. And we thank you for that. Because I know that in this room right now, there are those of us who feel very weak. And this morning, we need to slow down and be reminded that in the midst of our weakness, we serve a powerful God who is at work through our weakness for your glory. So help us to listen this morning carefully. As your spirit speaks to us, help us to respond to you in faith and trust and obedience. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. So if you remember a couple weeks ago, we, we, we started Gideon's story together. And, and, and life was crazy for Gideon, right? I mean, after all, for years, the Midianites had tortured the Israelites. They had come into the nation of Israel. They had ravaged their land. They had taken their livestock. And year after year, it was the same thing. And so the Israelites, man, they greatly feared the Midianites. In fact, they hid in caves, fearing for their lives. And, and Gideon was no different. He feared as well. I don't know if you remember or not, but when we looked a couple weeks ago at the beginning of this story, when God comes to Gideon, determined to use Gideon uh, to, to be a leader among his people, Gideon was hiding in a wine press, fearful like the rest of the Israelites. You remember God came to him and said, Oh, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon said, me? God, do you know me? Do you know what tribe I come from? I come from the smallest, weakest tribe of them all. And in my tribe, I am the weakest man in my tribe. And you're calling me a mighty man of valor? Come on, God. What we discovered about Gideon is he was a man of much fear. But God began to do a work. Gideon's life because God wanted to transform Gideon from a man of fear to a man of bold faith. Gideon requests signs and, and God gives him signs to prove to Gideon uh, that, that he is more than capable of using Gideon and leading Gideon. And I don't know if you remember or not, but Gideon goes to his own house and he tears down altars and, and God uses him to bring some restoration to his own family. And now it's time. It's time for Gideon to go and to lead his people to defeat the mighty Midianites. And honestly, when we get to chapter 7, I mean, it seems like Gideon might have a chance. After all, we discover in the first couple of verses that, that Gideon has amassed an army of 32,000 soldiers. That's pretty impressive. And so Gideon, maybe he's feeling pretty good about his odds. And, and maybe, just maybe, with these 32,000 soldiers, he'll be able to defeat the mighty Midianites. And, and then God comes to him. He says, Gideon, if you take 32,000 soldiers to the Midianites, and, and if, if Israel defeats the Midianites with 32,000 soldiers, you might be tempted. The nation of Israel might be tempted to say, look at what we did. Look at how mighty we are. Gideon, this isn't about you. It's about me. So God tells Gideon, here's what I want you to do. Go to your soldiers and tell them, if anyone's scared of the Midianites, if anyone would rather not fight this battle, they can pack up their bags and they can go home. And so that's what Gideon does. He goes back to his soldiers and he says to them essentially, hey, if you're fearful, if you don't want to fight this battle, if you want to go home, God says it's okay. You can go on home. And you can imagine that Gideon did not expect to see what he saw. 
22,000 soldiers were scared. And 22,000 soldiers decided on that day to go home. And the Bible doesn't say this. This is a bit of conjecture, but I imagine Gideon wanted to go home too. Right? I can imagine that, that he would have loved to pack his bags and, and head on back to the wine press, but he doesn't. He sticks around with 10,000 soldiers. And, and God comes to Gideon again and says, okay, still too many. Still too many soldiers. I want you to go to a spring. Right? We, we were actually at a spring in this particular area um, last week and a half or so ago, and, and we saw this spring. They call this in, in Israel Gideon's Spring, and we got to visit it. It may be the actual spring that Gideon uh, took his soldiers to. But anyway, he, he took his soldiers to a spring uh, there in the area of Mount Gilead, and, and he said to his soldiers, okay, well, God said to Gideon, watch your soldiers. Watch how they drink the water. And so Gideon watched. And God said to Gideon, notice those men that kneel down and put their faces in the water to drink. And also notice, right, notice those men who take their hands and bring up water and, and cut the water in front of their face and, and lap it like a dog. Those men who put their hands in the water and bring the water up to their face and lap it like a dog, those are the men I want you to keep. The problem was there weren't many men who did that. The overwhelming majority of the men, when they got to the springs, they, they, they knelt down and put their faces in the water and began to drink. Only 300 men brought the water up, cupped it in front of their faces, and lapped it like a dog. And God said to Gideon, there's your army. That's it. That's what you've got to work with. These are the ones uh, that you're going to take and go into battle against the mighty Midianites. This is your army. Now imagine it, right? Imagine Gideon's dismay. Imagine his fear. Because just a few days ago, he had 32,000 soldiers. Now he has 300. And you know what Gideon says? You saw it in the text, didn't you? When I read it, you saw exactly what Gideon said. Gideon said this, didn't he? He said, God will never give me any more than I can handle. Did you see that in the text? No, you absolutely did not see that in the text. But let's be honest, right, that, that, that when you get into a situation where you feel like you're over your head, when you get into a situation that is difficult, when you get into a situation that, that you feel like is overwhelming, oftentimes you will say, God will never give me more than I can handle. The problem with that is nowhere in Scripture do we find that statement. Nowhere in Scripture does the Bible teach us that God will never give you more than you can handle. Look all you want through the pages of Scripture, you won't find it. Because here's what you know and here's what I know from experience. God will often give you more than you can handle. Amen? You've been there. God will often put you in situations where you feel powerless. You know why? You know why he does that? So you'll have no other choice but to trust him. Right? And here's the advantage of weakness, my friend. Weakness makes you trusting. Sometimes God will take away everything that you have so that all you have is him. Sometimes God will remove everything. So the only choice that you have is to look up to him and say, God, help me. Because without you, I can't make it through this, right? And some of you in this room, you've been there. 
you've been in those powerless situations where you've felt like the odds were stacked against you. But let's be honest, in those seasons of weakness, when you knew the odds were stacked against you, weren't those the seasons that you learned the most about faith and learned the most about God, right? Because some of you in this room, you can remember it. You remember when you lost that job, right? And you were wondering, how am I going to have enough money to feed my family? And in those moments when you didn't know where your next paycheck was coming from, somehow, some way, God provided. You learned about his provisions. Some of you, it was painful that your spouse walked out on you. And you didn't know what you were going to do. You didn't know how you were going to raise your kids without a spouse. You didn't know how you were going to get over the heartache of losing a spouse. But in that season of trial and struggle where you were in way over your head, God was faithful to you. He put people around you to care for you and love you. He put you in a church that wrapped its arms around you. You see what I'm saying? Some of you, right? College students, you were in that biology class, which I have no idea why you want to take biology anyway, but you were there, right? And you failed the class because you're like me and you stink at biology. That's why you shouldn't take the class. And and so you failed the class, and, and all you thought about yourself was, I'm a failure. And then God reminds you in the midst of failing the biology class that you're not a failure at all. You're loved and accepted by him. You see what I'm saying? That that there have been many times in your life where you've been in way over your head, that God has given you more than you can handle. But in those moments, as you trusted him, as you looked to him, as you put your eyes on him, God taught you about himself. He taught you about his faithfulness. He taught you about his love. He taught you about his grace. He taught you that he really is all that you need. And sometimes, my friend, you won't know that God is all you need until he's all you have. Right? And so when you find yourself in way over your head, be content. It's okay in those seasons to say to God, God, I need your help. I don't have this figured out. Be teachable. Because in those seasons where God is all you have, he is teaching you something. And be obedient. Think about Gideon. I mean, he's so fearful. He doesn't have it figured out. But but as we read his story, at least he takes steps of faith. At least he's acting. You see what I'm saying? I had 34 people I was responsible for to get to Israel and back home over the last couple weeks. And, and, and I, the day before we left, I looked at the flight schedule. I probably should have looked at it a lot earlier, but I didn't. And I noticed on the flight schedule that on our return flight home, we were, while we stopped at JFK to, for our layover, we had a two-hour layover. Now, I don't know how many of you have traveled to JFK with 34 people. That's not a lot of time, especially when you consider you've got to get off the plane, You've got to go through passport control. You've got to go through customs. You've got to pick up your bags, and you've got to recheck in with another airline. That takes time. And I've been there at JFK when the lines are so backed up. It can take you an hour, hour and a half just to get through passport control. And so I was panicking, right? I mean, how are we going to do this? And so, so, so we, we got here to the church the, the day before we left for Israel, or the day we left for Israel, and I told our group, hey, just know that when we come back, 
We have a two-hour layover at JFK. You got to move faster than you've ever moved in your life, right? We just got to, we, we got to go. We're going to miss the flight, right? So anyway, all week long while we were in Israel, I was concerned about that flight. And would I get everybody home in one piece with that two-hour layover? We got on the plane to come back to JFK. It was midnight. Our flight didn't depart Israel until 1230 in the morning. I was sitting there ready to fall asleep, and, and I was looking at my watch because I wanted to make sure that pilot took off at the right time because we had to land at the right time. And so I'm, I'm watching my watch, and, and, and before we take off, my wife got up to go to the restroom. And, and while she's in the restroom, the pilot comes on and says something. I'm not listening because I'm too busy watching my watch. And, and Stacy comes back and sits down. She says, did you hear? I said, did I hear what? So what she had heard the pilot say was that there were just some really strong winds in the air. And because of that, when we got in the air, the, the pilot was going to have to divert the flight a little bit, and it was going to add an extra hour of flight time to our flight, leaving us one hour we landed at JFK to do everything we needed to do to get our next flight. I began to panic because I knew it, right? I've been around these 34 people all week long. They're slow, right? I knew, right, that, that there was going to be no way that we got through passport control and customs and all that. And I'm thinking, okay, what am I going to do, right? Because there's no way that they're going to be able to put 34 people on another flight together to get them back to Charlotte. It just wasn't going to happen. And this is what Stacy said to me. You know what she said? Pray. You know what I said? And I hate to admit this because I'm a pastor and I'm supposed to do better than this. I know. But you know what I said to her? No. Because in my mind, it was an impossible situation. What do you mean, pray? I mean, this is, this is terrible, right? I mean, this is out of my control. What do we do? I, I, need a, I need to go talk to the pilot, not talk to God, right? I mean, we've got to figure this thing out. Thankfully, in spite of my lack of faith, God did work miraculously. I don't know what happened. We got in the sky. I guess the sky cleared up because we got to the airport in, in the, at the right time. We got through customs, got our next flight. We're all here. We got home. Praise the Lord, right? But all that to say, man, I was weak. And I knew it. I knew there was nothing I could do. And in that moment, the last thing I wanted to do was to turn to God. And for some of you in this room, that's the mistake you're making as well. God is present, wanting you to trust him. And you're saying, no, God. I, it's out of my hands. It's out of my control. But I'm still not willing to trust you. Listen, weakness can make you trusting when you realize that he really is all that you have. But think about this. Weakness not only makes you trusting, it makes you thankful. Let me explain what I mean. So imagine Gideon. There he is. 300 soldiers. That's all he has. Scared to death. And God comes to Gideon again. Gideon, I want you to go. I want you to go into the Midianite camp and just listen. All right? I know you're even scared to go into the Midianite camp to spy it out because what if they might see you or what if they, they capture you? But take your buddy Pura and go. Go to the Midianite camp and just listen. And look what the Scripture says. You, you come down uh, to verse 9 there in chapter 7. Then that same night the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterwards your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Now listen to this. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. And, and the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance, and their camels were without number as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. And when Gideon came, behold, 
a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream. And behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it down so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. That's good. And so he goes down there, right? He takes his buddy Pura and he goes down to the camp. And, and when Gideon looks out, he sees it. Remember, Gideon had 32,000 soldiers. Now he only has 300. He looks out and as far as the eye could see, camels, soldiers. There's no way. Imagine the fear. But then he overhears a conversation. One of the soldiers begins to tell another soldier about a dream he had. A dream about a, a barley loaf rolling down the hill. Now, I'm reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible. It's a pretty good translation, but I don't think it captures the Hebrew language well at this particular point. If you were to go back and you were to do an in-depth study of the Hebrew of this particular passage, it would read something more like this. A man had a dream. He came and told his comrade, you won't believe what I just saw. In my dream, I saw a Chick-fil-A chicken biscuit rolling down the hill. And the Chick-fil-A chicken biscuit, it, it flattened the camp. And, and when Gideon heard this, you know what he was thinking? I'm the chicken biscuit, right? Gideon, he is the Chick-fil-A chicken biscuit. I, I don't know about you. I don't know your experience with biscuits. And I don't know the last time you had a biscuit thrown at you, right? On the Gulf Coast, there's, there's a, a chain of restaurants called Lambert's. Anybody ever been to Lambert's? You haven't. Okay, you need to go if you haven't, if you're ever on the Gulf Coast. Lambert's is the home of the throwed roll, right? So you, you go to Lambert's, and you, you sit down at your table, and if you want to roll, the waiter will throw it at you. you got to catch it. If you don't catch it, it hits you upside the head. It's an annoyance to get hit upside the head with a biscuit, right? But it won't kill you. Like, it won't break your head, right? But, but here's what God is showing Gideon in this dream. Gideon, I know you. You're nothing more than a chicken biscuit, but I can take a chicken biscuit and wipe out an army. If you're honest, right, you're nothing more than a chicken biscuit either. This is good preaching, isn't it? You're, you're, you're nothing more than a chicken biscuit, right? But in God's hands, as you put your eyes on him and, and trust him, think what he can do in your life and through you just as you trust him, you see? And notice what the text says. And so, so there's this dream, and, and, and the, the comrade tells this to his partner, and, and then the comrade says, this is, this is Gideon. God is going to bring Gideon to this place, and Gideon is going to defeat us. And look at what it says. As soon as Gideon, verse 15, heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped. Isn't that good? And you can imagine what he said as he worshipped. I know the, the Bible doesn't record for us his words, but you can imagine the thanksgiving that Gideon gave to God in those moments. I mean, think about it. Just, just back up, right? Back up and, and walk through Gideon's story with me again. God has called Gideon now on several occasions to take steps of faith, to go to your father's house and take down the idols, right? To, to, to tell scared soldiers to go home. 
to go to a spring and eliminate other soldiers. Several times now, God has called Gideon to take big steps of faith. And you know what Gideon has discovered with every step of faith that he's taken? Every step of faith that he's taken, what he's discovered is that on the other side of that step of faith, God was there. Right? In your life, God has called you over the course of your Christian life to take some steps of faith as well. And if we were to go around the room this morning and recount the steps of faith that God has called you to take, if we were to talk about those moments where you had to exhibit faith, I bet every one of us in this room this morning would say, in those places where God called us to step out in faith and we did it, every single time God was there. Right? I, I just imagine that if we were to go around this room and, and talk about the steps of faith that you've taken over the course of your life, none of you would say, that was the dumbest thing I ever did. Because when I took that step of faith, God wasn't there. He let me down. You wouldn't say that. And, and you know this to be as true as well. As you took those steps of faith, all along the way, God was reassuring you. It's going to be okay. I'm with you. I got you. No worries. And so for that reason, right, in your weakness, when you're in those situations that are way over your head, man, you can have a thankful heart because you know that God is with you. And you know that God is assuring you. And right now, this morning, if you find yourself in a situation that you feel like you're way over your head and you feel weak, be encouraged. Because this morning, God is reassuring you. Let God reassure you through his word. You think about even in this moment, as we're reading Scripture together, we read it with the conviction that this is what? The Word of God, the living Word of God. Truth for our lives, that God is speaking to us right now through His Word. And right now in this moment, in your season of weakness, God is telling you about the story of Gideon and his faithfulness to Gideon. And God is speaking to you through this story to reassure you it's going to be okay, right? Let God's people assure you. In this story, God used the enemy to reassure Gideon. But in your story, God uses the church. You're around people this morning. If you're involved in the life of Northwood that love you, that want the best for you, who encourage you and pray for you. And right now, you feel like you're at the bottom and you have a hard time trusting. Let the people of God who've walked by faith for many years reassure you it's going to be all right. And, and let divine appointments assure you. Because think about it, right? Right now, in this moment, God has you here. And it might be for you one of the worst seasons of your life. But right now, in, in God's sovereign control, he placed you in the seat you are in this morning. Right? To hear this message. To assure you, everything's going to be all right. You see what I'm saying? God has gone to great lengths to remind you that he's faithful to you and to remind you that you can trust him. Let him reassure you, and as he reassures you, worship him. In your weakness, give him thanks because he is the God who is present in your life. It's interesting how this story begins to end. You can imagine the newfound confidence that Gideon had. Remember, he was hiding in a wine press just, just weeks earlier. 
a fearful for his life. But now God has done a work of transformation in him. He has taken him from someone who was fearful and made him into a mighty man of valor, someone of bold faith. And so after Gideon hears from these enemies that he was a chicken biscuit that was going to defeat them, right, he goes back to his soldiers. And, and he says, let's go to battle. But it's interesting what they do not do. When Gideon takes his 300 soldiers and, and readies them for battle, they don't take their swords. That's pretty important, right? That when you go to battle, you take a weapon with you. But instead, he tells them all to take a torch, a jar, and a trumpet. You see, what would happen in those days is when you went out to battle, a battalion would have a couple of people that would lead the way. And they would lead the way with a torch and a trumpet, right? And so the, the sight of a torch in the distant night and the sound of a trumpet for the enemy, that was a signal that the enemy was approaching. So think about it. 300 people with 300 torches, with 300 trumpets, when they came sounding the trumpet and the torch lighting the night sky, the Midianites, to them, it looked like a lot more than a couple of battalions. It looked like hundreds of battalions, thousands of soldiers coming against them. And then the jars, breaking of the jars, all the noise that must have made on that, that night that, that was so quiet in the valley where the Midianites were, that all of a sudden, right, the Midianites, they become fearful. And, and, and listen, the Israelites, they don't even have to attack them because in the night, the Midianites rise up and they begin to defeat themselves, taking sword against each other. And Gideon's and the Israelites, they win the battle. You see? Weakness, it makes you trusting. Weakness, it makes you thankful. And finally, weakness, it makes you triumphant. Right? And just think about it again. Think about uh, the transformation that Gideon has gone through, right? Gideon had to let go of his fear. He had to start trusting God. If he was going to be triumphant, he had to let go of that fear that was holding him back. And this morning in this room, in the midst of your weakness, God wants you to experience triumph as well. He wants you to experience victory. He wants you to experience his power at work in you. And for you, like Gideon, it means letting go of some stuff. Maybe it's for you letting go of the fear of faith. Maybe for you, it's letting go of that, 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 that sense of self-sufficiency. God, I don't need you. I can figure this out myself. I don't know what it is for you, but, but I, I wonder for you this morning if there is something in your life that is keeping you from trusting God, something that you need to let go of. Because victory comes when you live to let go. And victory comes, right, when you let go and join God where he is working. Because here's reality. We all want a God who's bigger than us. We all want a God who will solve our problems for us. We all want a God who will get us out of the mess that we're in. But not many of us want to follow that God. We want him to solve our problems, but we don't want to do what he actually says. But victory comes when you let go of your fears, when you let go of your pride, when you let go of your self-sufficiency, and when you join God where he's working. I'd like to tell you that this story ends really well, but it doesn't. And I don't want to give too much of it away because we'll come back to this story next week and, 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 and study its conclusion. But it doesn't end well. Gideon, after he has this amazing victory with his people, you know what he does? He, he, he builds sort of an idol to himself. And, 
and things start to go really wrong in the nation. Because what happens after this battle is Gideon gets the big head. He thinks he's the one who's responsible for leading this mighty victory. And what happens for Gideon is that he gets out of a posture of weakness. Right? You see, here's what happens in your life. And I want you to come in real close for just a minute and make sure you, you get this before we close our time together. When you get out of a posture of weakness and you get into a posture of pride that says, I've got this figured out, right? I can do this, right? That, that, that I'm self-sufficient. I don't need God. I don't need to trust Him because I'm smart enough. I'm powerful enough. I've got this. When you get into that kind of posture, you know what's going to follow you? Destruction right? And some of you this morning, you've broken relationships. You, you've broken friendships. Some of you this morning, your life is a mess because you're not in a posture of weakness. Because you've been in a posture of pride that says, God, I can do this on my own. And you've made a mess. But it's good news for you. 2,000 years ago, someone came to this earth to fix all of your messes. And it seems so weak, right? You think about Jesus born in a manger, a, a helpless baby, the epitome of weakness. A baby can't do anything but cry and things that babies do, right? But this baby grew up to be a man, but a weak man, traveling around the region of Galilee with no bed to lay his head on, I mean, he just seems so weak. And then the weakest act in all of human history, death at the hands of your people, crucified, humiliated, it seems so weak. But you and I know the story. What seemed weak was actually a demonstration of the power of God because in his death, Jesus did what none of us could do. He took on our sin and became the sacrifice that we needed to be forgiven of our sins so we could be restored to the God of all creation. Jesus lived a perfect life. He never sinned once and then died on the cross a death that we deserved. He experienced the punishment that we were due. And while it seemed weak, Three days later, the greatest act of power human history has ever known. This one who was crucified on a cross, he walked out of a grave alive and well, victorious, defeating sin and death once and for all. So for all of us who turn to him and place our faith and trust in him, we experience the greatest victory of all. We're given life abundant and eternal, the complete forgiveness of sins. We're brought into relationship with the God of all creation. Jesus really does fix everything that our sin has broken. And there are some of us in this room this morning who've never admitted our weakness, who've never admitted that without him we are lost, and without him we have no hope. And this morning in this room, maybe God has placed you in the seat you're in, so today that you might know that Jesus died for you and rose again so you can have all your sins forgiven and have the hope of eternal life. In a moment, we're going to have a, a time of invitation. And during our time of invitation, we want to give you an opportunity to respond to the good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Knowing that this morning, if you place your faith and trust in him, you will forever be changed. And if you've never done that, in the corner of this room, in the corners of this room are two crosses. 
And at those two crosses, there will be people who are there waiting for you because they want to talk to you and help you to begin a relationship with Jesus. Today, if you'll turn from your sins and turn to him, you can have a new life. And the people at these crosses would love to talk to you about how you can begin that new life today. So we sing, go, go to those crosses. Let today be your day of salvation. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus this morning in this room, embrace your weakness. It's all right. It's all right to admit that you're weak. Because when you're weak, that's when you experience the power of God at work in you. And there are those of us in this room this morning who are believers in Jesus, followers of his. We've gotten out of that posture of weakness. We've said to God, I, I don't need you. I'm not going to pray. I can do this on my own. And maybe this morning, as a follower of Jesus, you just need to come back and say, God, I know it. I'm weak. And more than anything, I just need to trust you. Trust you with a heart of thanksgiving. Because as I trust you with a heart of thanksgiving, I am going to be triumphant. I'm going to experience the victory you have for me. Help me this morning to place my eyes on you. I don't know how God is speaking to you this morning, but I know that he is. As we have a time invitation, you respond as he leads you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for timing your word together. Now, Father, I pray that you would help us to respond to your word in faith and obedience. For that person that might be here this morning who's never placed his faith or her faith in Jesus, I pray that person this morning would have the boldness to admit their weakness, to admit they need a Savior. I pray this morning they'd move to these crosses to find hope in you. And for those of us who are your followers, help us this morning to admit our weakness and to rely on your faithfulness and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You rise to your feet. As we have a time of invitation together, you come now as the Spirit of God leads you.